and primarily verses uh, 3 and 4. So as again, as I uh, read this, it's always uh, a great joy to read the Word of God inspired by God. So again, listen with reverence and faith. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So when we look at the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we have it explained in very simple terms. We must believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Christian if you don't believe in the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Christ makes Christianity unique among all the religions of the world. Because every other religion has its founders who eventually died without exception and their bones turned into dust. But Christianity alone has a risen Savior who is at this very moment very much alive in glorified life, reigning on His throne in heaven at this very moment. That is why Peter said there is neither salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is not a bigoted or a narrow-minded comment. It's a simple fact and the simple truth. There is salvation in no one else other than through Jesus Christ who alone died for our sins and rose on the third day to prove it. But the resurrection of Christ is not just a historical event that must be believed in order to be saved. The resurrection of Christ is the very source of life and power for the Christian every day of our Christian lives. The resurrection of Christ is the very focus for why we are here because it's by His life in us that enables us to gather and worship Him. From the very beginning of our Christian life to the very end, from the very start to the finish, our Christian life flows from Christ's resurrection and His eternal life. And as we consider that this morning, we will realize that it's because Jesus lives that we live. As we focus on this, we should also realize how dependent we are upon Christ's resurrected life, His power, His grace, each and every day. Easter is not just about remembering a historical event in the past. It's part of that. We celebrate that. We glory in the empty tomb. But it's also to... to Acquaint ourselves with the fresh reality that because Christ is alive now and my life is dependent upon Him every moment of my Christian life. So that when you focus on the resurrection of Christ, it really should remind us of how important it is for us to abide in Christ, to draw near to Christ, 
to walk with Christ, to have fellowship with Christ, that His life might flow through us. That's what the resurrection is ultimately all about too. For His glory and for His majesty and honor. So as this morning, what I'd like for us to do is to focus our attention upon how the resurrected life of Christ is the source of the life and blessing that brings about our regeneration, our justification, our sanctification, and ultimately our glorification. So we're going to look at quickly a number of verses to just show us how the Christian life in its entirety is dependent upon the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's begin by turning now in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And once you turn there, if you'll focus on verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul wrote concerning the spiritual condition of the believers before they were saved. All of them. And he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So spiritually, by nature, we're dead. Spiritually dead. Ezekiel chapter 36 describes that as that previously we had a heart of stone. A dead stone for a heart. No life within that heart. It was stone cold dead. But what does God mean here in verse 1 when He says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins? Well, we're very much alive physically. We're very much alive to sin. But we're spiritually dead, meaning basically we're dead to God and to the things of God. In this condition, we were hostile toward God in our spiritual deadness. We were indifferent to the Gospel. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, we didn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for they were foolishness to us. We couldn't even understand them because they were spiritually appraised. So being spiritually dead means we were unresponsive to the Gospel. In fact, we turned away from it. We didn't like it. But we were as unresponsive to the Gospel as Lazarus was unresponsive to the cries of his sister wanting Him to come back from the life, from the dead. We are equally unresponsive to the Gospel of Christ. And on top of that, being spiritually dead, add another layer of satanic blindness, which Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Satan had blinded our eyes so that we might not see the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ. We couldn't see it because we were spiritually dead. So that was our condition. So how do we get saved then? How does that spiritual dead condition that we were born in, inherited from our father Adam, how do we become alive spiritually? Well, ultimately, it's due to the resurrected life of Christ being imparted to us. If you will now look at verse 4 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. 
But God being rich in mercy because of His grace, His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing passage, really. One of the things it talks about is our union and position in Christ. That when Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised with Him. When He was seated at the Father's right hand, we were seated with Him because of our union with Christ. We have that position in Him, spiritually speaking. And that's because when He came down and died on the cross, He died as our substitute. He took our place on the cross. He bore our sins. What He was doing, He was doing in our place. So when He died, we died. When He arose from the dead, we arose from the dead. When He ascended to the Father on high, we ascended to the Father on high. Because of our position in Christ, our union with Christ. That's a glorious truth. You could spend a, lot, a long time just meditating upon that. But look also specifically at verse 5. That even when we were dead in our transgressions, spiritually dead with all that that implies, He made us alive together with Christ. We were made alive with Christ. So that when Christ was made alive in His resurrection, we receive from Christ life too at that point in time in our life when the Lord regenerates us. So that the thing verse 5 seems to be speaking about is what we would refer to as the doctrine of regeneration or the new birth. That is, when I as a spiritually dead sinner have been given life by God so that I come alive. I'm now spiritually alive in Christ. But that life is joined to His life when He was raised from the dead. It's His resurrection life. A little spark of that, if you will, was planted in our spiritually dead souls and suddenly we became alive. So that our regeneration is connected to His resurrection. That life now is implanted within us. And once I become alive, now I become sensitive to my sin. And I see my need for Jesus Christ. But all of that is because His resurrection life, a piece of that, if, if you will, I'm speaking symbolically, but is implanted within our spiritually dead soul just like Lazarus. And suddenly we become alive. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Him. By grace you have been saved. It's all of God's grace. It's not anything we could do. It's by His grace and His grace alone. So that our new nature, being born again, is none other than Christ's risen, resurrected life placed within us. Christ is the resurrection and the life. And in His life that comes to us, we are raised spiritually from the dead 
we repent, we believe in Christ, we receive the gift of everlasting life. You know, there's a beautiful analogy of this that C.S. Lewis wrote about in his uh, Chronicles of Narnia series. One of the volumes was called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you remember the story, for those of you all that have read it, there's an evil witch queen who uses sorcery to turn many of the talking animals, Narnia was a place with talking animals, and she turned all those talking animals into stone statues, cold stone dead statues, and they're all just frozen in place, turned into stone. Aslan, who's the great Christ figure throughout the books, was put to death because Edmund, one of the human children in the story, had had become a traitor. And the penalty for being a traitor was death. And Aslan, the great lion of the story, died in his place to save Edmund from the death that he deserved. Well, according to the story, because Aslan was a innocent, pure victim, the law was broken and required his death, and he was raised from the dead. Aslan the lion was raised from the dead. And what happened after his resurrection? Well, he he took the children, two of the children that were with him, And he went to the queen's castle where all of these living animals had been turned into stone. And throughout her courtyard, all these animals were frozen. They were just stone cold. And Aslan, now alive in resurrected life, if you will, jumped over this high wall into the courtyard and he started to breathe on all of these stone creatures. And they suddenly came alive again. And what you see is a beautiful picture of the resurrected life of Aslan being the source of the life that removed the stoneness, the hardness, and made them alive again. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we had those hearts of stone, when we were spiritually dead, Christ, as it were, breathed upon us from heaven, communicated His life into our souls, and we became alive. We were regenerated and born again. So that we should praise God that the reason why we're spiritually alive now is because we've been connected with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So that our regeneration really is the outgrowth of His life and His resurrection. No resurrection of Christ. No regeneration of the sinner. The second thing we want to see is that Christ's resurrection is also the source, if you will, of our justification. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4 very quickly. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. Paul again is writing to the church at Rome. Speaking of Christ, he says in chapter 4 verse 25, 
He who is delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. He was raised because of our justification. So what is justification? Well, I could ask all the people that were at the Good Friday retreat, Friday night, hopefully you might remember, that the doctrine of justification is one of the great doctrines taught in the Scriptures. It's that God not only forgives us of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, but He also declares us to be righteous. He imputes Christ's righteousness into our spiritual bank account. He makes a deposit within our spiritual bank account of the perfect, sinless righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so that God declares us to be righteous in His sight. Absolutely essential for salvation that we be justified, that we be declared just by God. Now this happens when we first believe that Christ both forgives us of all of our sins and gives us Christ's righteousness as a grace gift. But there is no justification without Christ's resurrection. That's what we see at the end of verse 25. He was raised because of our justification. If we were not justified, Christ would not have been raised. In other words, Christ's resurrection is the proof that when He died on the cross, He justified us. He accomplished fully the removal of our sin. He justified us on the cross by His blood. He overcame all of our sin. He bore all of our sin in the full penalty of God's wrath. And the proof that He justified us on the cross by His blood is that He arose from the dead. He was raised because of our justification. The resurrection was the proof that He accomplished everything necessary to forgive us of our sins and to declare us righteous by the gift of Christ's righteousness. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, then then it would have indicated that our justification had not been accomplished. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, then Christ failed to save us. So, He he was raised from the dead to prove that He did. That on the cross, He did bear the full penalty for our sins. If Christ was not raised from the dead, we would not have been justified and we would still be in our sins. We read that in 1 Corinthians 15 earlier. But since Christ was raised from the dead, which proved that He had cried out on the cross, it is finished. And when He cried out, it is finished, then the debt was paid in full. And to prove that He had fully taken away our sins, He was raised from the dead. So, no resurrection, no justification. So even our justification is linked to His resurrection 
So we not only celebrate on Easter the resurrection of our Lord as a historical event, but it's the very source, the life, the power behind our regeneration and our justification. And now thirdly, our sanctification. If you will, turn to Galatians chapter 2. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, He writes in verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So, throughout the whole process of sanctification, throughout the whole Christian life, we live because Christ lives in me in me. Christ in His risen, resurrected life lives in me. Christ lives in me. That's the source of my sanctification. That's ultimately the reason why we can grow gradually into more Christ-likeness because He lives in us. Let me finish the verse. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, living the Christian life is really impossible. We can't do it without the resurrection life of Christ within us. And it's the Holy Spirit who indwells us that mediates the life of Christ into our soul, into our mind, into our wills. It's the Spirit of God that works that life of Christ, that resurrected life of Christ into us so that it's lived out through us. And because of that, Christ's life in us is the key to our fruitfulness. It's the key to our obedience. It's the key to us growing to be more like Jesus Christ. His life within us is the key for that. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now what's Jesus saying there? If you want to be fruitful as a Christian, you need to be abiding in Jesus Christ because the source of the life and the power comes from Him. And He dwells within us through His Spirit. But we must abide in Him. We must walk in Him. We must live in Him and focus on Him and try to please Him and obey Him every day. Just like the branch must abide in the vine. If it gets cut off, then the life of the sap of the branch doesn't, or the vine doesn't flow out into the branch. And in a practical way, we must have regular communion with Jesus Christ. Because it's His life is a source of my fruitfulness. It's His life flowing through me that enables me to bear fruit for the glory of God. So throughout sanctification, again, we are connected and dependent upon the resurrection, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that life is in us. Christ lives in us. And we must abide with Him. And have fellowship with Him. The problem is, is that we can choke and restrict the flow of Christ's life in our life. We can do that. It's like the 
the branch that's connected to the vine. There can be things that can happen to restrict the flow of that life-giving sap into the branch. Some of the things we do to restrict that flow is just our apathy in spiritual things. Our negligence. We're far more interested in filling our minds with worldly things and things of the Spirit of God. And our indifference. Our indifference to Christ. Our indifference to wanting to please Him. And when that happens, we we choke and constrict the flow of the life of Christ through His Spirit in our soul. So that's why we need to understand that my fruitfulness as a believer, your fruitfulness as a believer, depends upon us having a good open channel, if you will, in our connection, our relationship, our fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because the closer I walk with Him, the more His life will flow through me to be a blessing to others and to bear fruit for Him. Christ's life is also connected with our sanctification and that is the really the key of us overcoming and dealing with sin that we wrestle with in our life. If you will, turn to, to Romans chapter 6 just for a moment. Because we all wrestle with sin. There's none of us who are been glorified yet or become perfect yet. So we wrestle with sin. We sit out of the flesh. But it's the life of Christ in us that gives us the grace to repent of our sin, to confess our sin, to put off the old man and put on the new man. It's that, it's that life of Christ flowing through us. His risen, resurrected life in us that helps us to overcome sin. Look, if you will, at verse 4 of Romans chapter 6. Also speaking here of our union with Christ. Paul writes, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. See, we can walk in newness of life because Christ has been raised from the dead and that resurrection life now dwells within us. So we can walk in that newness of life because His life is the source of our life. If you drop down to verse 12, same chapter, Paul writes, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. So what Paul is talking about here is that the Christian walks in newness of life, which in part means that we're no longer slaves to sin like we used to be when we were lost. We still struggle with sin. But we're not a slave of sin. We don't love sin. We don't just give ourselves to sin. We're not under the bondage of sin like we used to be. Yeah, we still struggle, but the life of Christ is within us now. So we think differently. We act differently. And even when we fall into sin, eventually we will repent and come out of it. There's godly thoughts that we have because the life of Christ is within our mind. 
We make godly choices because the life of Christ is manifesting itself in our hearts and our wills. Yes, we still wrestle with sin, but it doesn't dominate us. It doesn't enslave us. We live by His life within us. Our sanctification is tapped into the resurrected life of Christ. That's the source of our growth in godliness and grace. It's kind of like those old-time divers. Um, remember when they first started developing uh, deep-sea diving? Of course, it, it developed in stages, but they finally came to the point that they had these, these uh, divers who kind of wore these suits. And it's kind of like now a space suit. We would liken it to a space suit. And they had these big metal round helmets and normally a plate of glass here. And they would go, they would drop them down into deep water. And the reason why they could do that is because there was a hose, maybe two hoses connected to their helmet. And it would go all the way up to the surface of the water to a boat that had a big pump up there and it's pumping air down into the helmet and into the suit. That's how they could live in hostile, a hostile environment like deep water. Well, in a sense, that's how we're connected with Christ. Now, granted, the Holy Spirit is within us. Christ is within us. But we're dependent. We have a lifeline to what is above Christ in heaven who through His Spirit is continually sending down into us that spiritual supply of oxygen that enables us to live a Christian life in the midst of an ungodly world. We're connected with the, with the risen Savior. It's His life passed down to us in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that enables us to live spiritually and to serve the Lord. It's all dependent ultimately upon Christ. But again, we can crimp that hose if we're not walking in obedience to the Lord, if we're not seeking the Lord, if we're not walking with the Lord, and then you'll experience what it's like not to have, not to feel, not to experience Christ being near you. And so what do we do? We confess our sin. We cry out to God, Oh God, help me. Oh God, give me more grace. Give me more fruit. Lord, help me to walk in closer fellowship with You. And that's how we loosen our fleshly grip on that hose and have more of the fruit and the life of Christ in our life to help us to overcome the sin that we all wrestle with on a regular basis. So you want more power in your life. You want more grace in your life. And we must be continually presenting ourselves to God, presenting our bodies to God, presenting our souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no room for passivity here. There's no room to say, well, if God wants me to be holy, I'll be holy. No, we must press on to know the Lord. And if you're not pressing on, then you bear the guilt of your, of your own sin. We must seek after the Lord. We must draw near to the Lord. We must pray for His help. 
And when we do that, the life of Christ, that spiritual oxygen fills our lungs and we live more for Christ and less for ourselves. In other words, if there's no resurrection, there's no sanctification. Because our Christian lives is lived out because of His life in us. And we need to keep those channels open and pray for His grace and seek Him in His Word and draw near to Him and cry out to Him regularly so that we can grow in sanctification because of His life bearing fruit within our life. Well, finally, Christ's resurrection is also the life and the grace and the glory behind our ultimate glorification. If you're in Romans 6, already look at verse 5. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So when we are glorified on the last day, that glorification that we go through is also tied directly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the source. That's the the life. That's the power of our ultimate glorification is that we will share in His resurrected likeness. And He says, He emphasizes in verse 5, certainly, it's an absolute certainty that every blood-bought believer will be one day glorified by the Lord Jesus Christ. We read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. See, Christ was the firstfruits. Well, what does the, the imagery of the firstfruits remind you of? There's a great harvest yet to come, Right? And that's what Paul is emphasizing. For all in Adam die, so all in Christ will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and after those who are Christ at His coming. So we will be that great harvest day when we will be resurrected because our resurrection is tied to His resurrection. Because He was raised, the power, the glory, the life, behind our resurrection is tied with Him. And because His resurrection is a reality, so one day will be ours. We will share in His resurrection glory. This is an amazing thing. Paul writes of it in Philippians 3.21 that when Christ comes, He will transform the body of our humble state. Our, Our body now is in a very humble state. It gets weak. It gets sick. It gets diseased. It dies. But He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. In other words, our resurrection body will be resurrected and conformed to the body of His glory. We'll have a resurrection body like Jesus now has a resurrection body. Of course, we'll never be God. We'll be glorified, redeemed sinners, creatures. But we'll have a resurrection body that was like our Lord's resurrection body. That's part of the glory of what He will do. 
By the way, this is going to be a makeover like nothing else. People spend tons of money doing makeovers on their body or on their home or wherever. Well, wait for this makeover to happen. You won't need another one for all eternity. It will be glorious indeed. It will be a complete transformation of our physical body into a glorified body like our Lord's. Our dead dust and ashes may be scattered to the wind, maybe who knows wherever they are, God knows, will be resurrected and made into a new glorified perfect body. And at that time, we will share His image. As John writes in 1 John 3.2, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him in His resurrected glory. We'll be like Christ. That's the goal of our salvation. To be glorified and be like our Savior. The image of God imparted at creation ruined by the sin of Adam, will be perfectly restored when we share the image of Christ in our resurrection glory. And then we will become like our Savior. We'll be holy and sinless and perfect. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more tears. No more death. No more disease. No more waking up and feeling bad. No more curse but overflowing with blessings forever and ever. But if there was no resurrection, there would be no glorification of the saints. So the whole, in conclusion, the whole Christian life is tied to the resurrection of Christ, our regeneration, our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. All of that will flow into our body and our souls by the risen life of Jesus Christ. Because He lives, we live. And right now we're in that sanctification stage again. And the key for us to have more of His power and grace and love and fruit within our life is we must commit ourselves to abiding in the vine submitting to His will, seeking fellowship with our living Lord. And like the deep sea divers of old, our spiritual oxygen comes from above and the closer we walk with Christ, the more that flow comes. The more the sap will move from the vine into the branch, into your life, bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit for the glory of God. So don't crimp that hose but draw near to Christ in His risen glory. He's got everything that we need. Draw near to Him. Pray to Him. Call out to Him. If you don't know Jesus Christ, repent and confess your sins to Him. Because He died on the cross and bore the sins of sinners so that everyone who believes in Him will be totally forgiven and have the life of Christ implanted within them. So may the Lord give us all that grace to draw near to Him regularly, even today, that our fellowship with Christ might grow, that we might grow to be more like Him. Well, the Lord's Supper that we're now about to partake of 
helps us in our communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because here we focus upon the death of Christ, His sacrifice for our sins, knowing that it accomplished our salvation when Jesus died on the cross. The proof of that, of course, is His resurrection. And that's why it's fitting for us to celebrate His resurrection as it is fitting for us now to celebrate His death. The two go together. You can't separate them. His death was successful and resulted in His resurrection. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, this is a unique opportunity for us to draw near to Christ. For the branch to abide in the vine in terms of turning our hearts and our minds to the risen Lord Jesus Christ to worship Him. To express our thanks to Him for dying for me, for saving me from my sins. To bearing the wrath of God, the curse of God that I deserve in hell forever. Oh Jesus, thank You for dying and bearing my sins and suffering the full penalty of the law of God for me. Fellowship with Him. Thank Him for dying for your sins. Thank Him for paying the full price and paying off the complete debt that we owed to God. Thank Him for satisfying the judgment of God against us. And knowing that He did successfully bear our sins in His body on the tree because He arose from the dead. So we turn to the risen Christ. We thank Him. We express our gratitude to Him. We confess our sins to Him. Rejoicing that He died on the cross and made our salvation accomplished. So this is our time to draw near to Christ, our risen Savior, to remember His agony, to express to Him our failures and our frustrations, and oh God, how I need You more. Lord Jesus, give me more grace. Open my eyes to see Your glory more. Draw me to Your Word. Give me a greater hungry hunger for the Word of God. Forgive me of my sins. Give me more grace. This is the time for us to fellowship and draw near to God through Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is for believers. If you're here and you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone to forgive you, then we invite you to partake. It's always appropriate for us to examine our own hearts to see if there's any squeezing of the hose Anything that is restricting our fellowship with the Lord and confess it and deal with it. And then partake. But if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we ask you, we beg of you, don't leave today without doing that. Because there is a day of judgment that's coming whenever sinner will stand before God. And if you do not have the blood of Christ that has washed you white as snow, then you must pay the penalty for your sins. And Jesus Christ alone can forgive you. Come to Christ. Confess your sins. Believe upon Him. And He promised that He will give you the free gift of everlasting life. But until you do that, please meditate upon your need for Christ and a Savior 
and reflect upon Christ because there's only one. Only one who can save you and come to Him. Well, at this time, it's our privilege to pass the bread. We use unleavened bread because it's a beautiful picture that Christ had no sin. Leaven is often a symbol of sin. He was sinless. And that's why He could die on the cross, take our place, and bear our sins because He had no sin of His own. We break the bread. Christ probably took one loaf of bread and broke it and maybe passed it down the two aisles or the two sides of the table they were at. But uh, we do it a little differently. But we break the bread because we want that audible sound to just remind us of all that Christ endured in His body and His soul when He was flogged, when He was nailed to the cross, when He was struggling to, to breathe, just the, the blood that was coming from Him as He was dying as a Lamb of God to take away our sins. Just to remember the agony. And why did He go through all of that? Because of His love for you. He did that because He loved us. And it should remind us again to, to draw our hearts and just to thank Him for dying for us. Did you hear Isaiah 53? That He was crushed for our iniquities. Well, before the ushers uh, come... Let us give thanks for the bread. Let's pray. Our Father God, we come to You this day rejoicing and celebrating in the resurrection of our Lord because it proved that the Lamb of God did die upon the cross and He did take away our sins so that every sinner who believes in Him might not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, thank You for sacrificing Your Son that He might bear our sins and remove Your wrath that we might be forgiven forever. Oh Lord, thank You for saving us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.